And this is Sister Kimberly Kalima, and I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in again to another episode of Religion Means Live presents The Radiant Brilliant Show, where culture meets conversation. This evening, my guest is going to be Brother Kachevi, who is an instrumentalist and a musician. We're going to go over how he got started in the music business, what he's learned along the way, how instrumental Islam has been with him and ideas or suggestions for anyone else who is also interested in going into music or entertainment as a Muslim. As-salamu alaykum, Brother Kachabi. Welcome to the call. Walaikum as-salam. Again, thank you for having me. It is definitely an honor. It's a pleasure. I'm excited. (laughs) Shukran. Thank you so very much. Well, my first question that I have for you is your name, Kachabi. That is very unique. And could you tell me a little bit about what that name means or where it came from? Well, I know the root meaning uh, means friendly. Uh, it can be traced, of course, to Argentina and then even uh, earlier uh, to Africa through the dis- uh, African despair. But my parents, during the 60s, they, they uh, wanted to um, name me after Che Guevara, and they went back and forth and just winded up on just Kachebi. Uh But Che obviously was a great um, revolutionary and, and some who study him know he was a doctor as well. So they wanted me to, uh, I guess, reflect that same courage. And they admired him, so they named me after uh, after Che. So my name is Kachebi. Wow, that's very interesting. And I'm impressed <laughs> with that individual as well. And I hope some of our listeners will go look up uh, Che Guevara and find out more about him. Now, as a musician and an instrumentalist and Muslim, that alone is um, quite a twist of accomplishment. How did you get started, or how did you become interested in in music individually, just by itself, music? You know, it's interesting. Um, I started playing music as a kid um, back in the fourth grade, and um, I was raised in East St. Louis, Illinois. You know, I was raised there, born in Detroit, but raised in East St. Louis. And for whatever reason, there was a lot of pollution, and uh, that was affecting. Um, the health of people, and I was one of those kids uh, that was affected. And uh, the doctors uh, told my mom that I either should take up track or or, uh, or, or take up a wind instrument in particular to help develop um, my lungs. So so uh, I looked at both of them, and, and I, I love music. <laughs> but that's how I started, um, playing the, um, the flute and the saxophone uh, in the... Uh, fourth grade, and uh, that's how I met, who is actually my friend and mentor to this day. Uh, his name is um, Dr. Uh, Robert uh, Leander, or Bob Leander. Now, he's a professor today of physics at the um, Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. And I would say, he he's very humble, but I would say that he's a genius, I mean, literally, uh, that he's a genius. Uh, but he was the one that started me in music, and we've uh, remained friends uh, since. Um, one other thing, if I can add to mm-hmm. who Dr. Uh, Leander is, when I met him, 
he was working on his thesis, and I didn't know this at the time, but he was working on his thesis, his master, uh, I believe his master's, to develop child prodigy. And I was one of his experiments. I was the only male in his class. And um, by the time I reached the sixth grade, I was playing Mozart and um, Charlie Parker's Chi-Chi, uh, Rimsky-Korsakoff, Flight of the Bumblebee. And by the time I reached the seventh grade, I was actually playing with the Southern Illinois University Orchestra, uh, primarily Baroque and classical music. Wow. So that's how I started. Um, and, I, and I really think uh, Dr. Leander, um, I, I call him my musical father. You know, he opened my mind up to, to uh, music in, in, in general, the disciplines of classical and Baroque, and then later opened my mind up to jazz. And, and um, I remember him introducing Coltrane, John Coltrane, to me, and, and I put my horn down for two years. It was, it was just too much. <laughs> it was just too much processing. It really was. But now that I'm grown and married and got kids, I, I can play his music now. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand it, but that was a very high processing. But anyway, that's how I started in music. And uh, it's just in, in, it, for health reasons, I, I started that way and, and, and have been enormous with music and trying to understand it, trying to learn it. And today I'm, I would say I'm walking music. I'm made out of music. <laughs> well, I have another quick question that brings to mind. You said he had a study mm-hmm. on developing prodigies, correct? Right, right, right. That's and, interesting and, input because when I, whenever I've heard about child prodigies, it was a child who just came to be. And they were very, 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 very advanced in their understanding and execution of it. As far as developing, is he saying that you could possibly find a talent in a child and then and, and coax it enough to get them on the level of someone who was a prodigy? That, that's, that, was his, that was his study. Wow. And I'm not quite sure uh, what his result was. Uh, I know today he's a doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, uh, but I, I do know that he produced doctors as well. I would say out of his students, I was the weakest, you know, and, and that's not unusual. I was the only, I was the only male. So the, the, the female students were more advanced. I remember uh, a young lady, her name is Donna Lee. She now has a PhD in music and I always saw them way more advanced uh, women. Well, we know now out of uh, Harvard studies that women brains uh, primarily process faster than men's, especially with multitasking. Mm-hmm. And I, I can tell maybe that was what was happening as kids because I knew the, the young girls were much faster than me even in processing. I was a slow learner, you know, and, and but I always, and even to this day, I'm very patient and I will stick with something uh, into it's actually burned into memory, you know, will actually become it. You know, I think uh, Bruce Lee he always taught this in his philosophy, and, and, and I know that I'm uh, digressing, but I've studied Kung Fu for a while, too. I studied uh, Northern Shaolin, uh, Pramantis Kung Fu, but what my teachers used to tell us in, in, in this discipline is that they would teach us the form, we would think about the form, and we would go through hundreds of punches, hundreds of kicks, to the point where we're not thinking about it anymore. And it's just automatic. You know, it's like when you watch the great Floyd Mayweather. You know, he's a great shoulder uh, defense fighter. 
and, and when he was fighting in the ring, his opponent may hit his shoulder, and it automatically triggers a reaction from him. It, he's not thinking. And it's the same when, when Bruce Lee was uh, in his prime, or Muhammad Ali in his prime. They, they practiced these maneuvers hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. So when they're actually improvising, mm-hmm. they're not thinking anymore. It's already been thought. It's already, the thinking has been done hours and, and weeks and you know, uh, many hours ago. And it's the same way with music, and especially jazz musicians. You know, that, that, that's, um, I think, what my, my uh, co-students were very good at. They were very quick at learning. And in my case, I, I took my time, but I burned it into memory words, actually, um, uh, what's the word, just, um, just automatic. It's just automatic. And even to this day, as a jazz musician, when I'm on the stage, I'm not thinking. You know, it, it, I, I try to focus on emotion at that point mm-hmm. because all the thinking, all the long hours, all of the long uh, phrases, the scales, the chord progressions, all that stuff has already been done. So by the time you hit the stage, it's just pure, it's just automatic. Okay, well, I think you've given everyone insight into what people call your zone. If you know someone who's an artist or any type of creator and they get into their zone, and that's where once you've done all the practicing, once you've got all the formalities in order, it becomes this natural process of you just moving and you're just in it. Right. That's what it sounds like. I remember like one of my senseis, he would say, what's the difference between a street fighter and a, and a martial artist, a street fighter will repeat. The martial artist don't have to repeat. Will constantly innovate based on what is being presented. You know, you throw your fist, we'll look at it. <laughs> you know, so it's the same with uh, jazz musicians, mm-hmm. who I consider the highest, the highest level of music at this date, at this date, uh, is, is African classical music, which is also known as jazz. We don't nece- necessarily have to repeat. And, and oftentimes we don't repeat. You know, we've, we've seen certain progressions hundreds and hundreds of times and pretty much can innovate and, and improvise off those progressions. But I'll go more into that, especially with what I would call the real architects of jazz. There's okay. a, uh, Louis, Louis Armstrong, uh, Duke Ellington, John Coltrane, Charlie Parker. These are the real jazz musicians. Everyone else are just mere students. Uh, Miles Davis, these are the real jazz musicians, the, the, the innovators. And, and perhaps it, we can go more into that maybe a little later. Yeah, inshallah. Okay, okay. That sound, what you're giving me is absolutely great. And um, it's mm-hmm. very familiar to me because my father was a jazz musician and a lead guitarist. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the names that you are mentioning are names I, I grew up listening to, or my grandparents were very big uh, admirers of those gentlemen. So uh feels like home, this conversation. Now, when you were talking about some of the architects of jazz, now, as you began to play, and it was just for health reasons, who were some of the people that influenced you? Were you always leaning towards jazz or were there pop artists that were out? Were there people locally in your community that you knew of? Were there different genres of music? I know you mentioned the classical and, and Baroque, and for many of us who have ever played any instrument, 
that's really where, where they start you out. They right, really start right. you out there. And then some of them will get you to the big band sound. Some will get to the American sound. But you get the classical uh, and the Baroque first and foremost in, in all levels of instrumentation. Were there any other influences you had before you kind of decided that jazz or R&B was really your home? Well, primarily uh, my instructor, uh, Dr. Uh, Leander, because I, it, as I mentioned before, he's very humble, but he was a great, consistent to see a great uh, musician. Uh, he he um, is a professor of physics now. He teaches physics, but he still plays music, and he was a woodwind specialist. So he was my immediate influence as a kid. I, I, I looked up to him and, it, and admired him, and... Um, and then later on, started to develop an independent love for other artists outside of him. Okay. I have to break it down. For out of the classical realm, I I, I lean more toward the Baroque. Uh, that's more because it's more radical classical music. When I think of classical, I think of early Beethoven or Mozart, and and that's more of um, uh, conforming. Where the revolutionaries before them were rebelling, the, the rebels against the church were were Bach. You know, all of the, you know, they were followers of Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. So they, they were, they were pr- protesting <laughs> and their music uh, reflected that. And, and I, I guess I'm more attracted to that, uh, to the revolution as it affects music. I love Bach, especially the father, Johann Sebastian Bach. Mm-hmm. So I love him and I love uh, post Beethoven as, he, as, the, as his later stages of music moved away from the constraints of classical more into the romantic, uh, romanticism, when when um, uh, when the music started to uh, stretch, if you will, when chromaticism moving from whole to half steps, it's hard to explain. They started to bend the notes, if you will. That that's uh, 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 of course then later gave birth to what we call jazz today. So so to recap all that, uh, Bach out of out of that classical or Baroque world, and then when we come to jazz, and like Duke, the great Duke Ellington used to say, ain't no thing unless you got this swing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we know it was Louis Armstrong who created swing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's how influential Louis Armstrong was. I, I, my God, I mean, without, without swing, you don't have jazz. So you have to get, you know, Louis Armstrong, of course, and then uh, Duke Ellington. But my two favorite, and not just jazz musicians, my two favorite musicians of all time is Charlie Parker and, and, and John Coltrane. And let, and let me tell you why. When I was a music major in school, mm-hmm. at, in, in college, and what I've learned when I was in school is that the solfege, you know, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, hadn't changed in a thousand years. Charlie Parker changed it. Him and Dizzy Gillespie. And they created their own scale system called the bebop scales back in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. <laughs> it's like we're speaking English now. Imagine we come up with our own language and then rewrite something equivalent to Shakespeare in that unique language. That, mm-hmm. That's Charlie. That's the bird. That's Charlie Parker. He's considered the, the Mozart of the 20th century. So, so, and then Coltrane changed it even further. So Coltrane came up with his own systems, uh, including the Coltrane changes or the giant steps changes. <laughs> you know, it, 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 he was so advanced that a lot of jazz musicians, especially jazz critics, didn't even understand his music, especially when giant steps came out. They, they thought it, 
it was anti-jazz because they had never heard it before. Mm-hmm. The, the third degree of the scale, uh, do we meet or do we may, it either tells you if the scale is going to be major or minor. It was ambiguous for Coltrane. They didn't know what it was because they had never heard that before. He was he was skipping it. He was literally, it's called either the cycle of fourths or the cycle of fifths. It's a scale system that had never been done before. And and when he released it, a lot of the masters, it took them two years to even, to even be able to play it. Hmm. So that's Coltrane. That's John Coltrane. That's the level. He, I would say he is the Einstein's music. And and to, to this day, their minds were so bright, Allah blessed them, you know, Allah God blessed them, mm-hmm. that music has degressed since their time. It hasn't evolved. It, we're actually devolving since uh, since the giant steps. Wow. Now Miles Davis, who who we all call the cool, you know, he 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 created the cool jazz. I mean, out of all of he created fusion too. He's he's considered the father of fusion. You know, blending rock and jazz and funk and jazz, but uh, but but Miles Davis and Bill Evans, now they did something the exact opposite of Coltrane. They went back before the scale system, over a thousand years in the past, and brought back in the modes. And and when the people heard it, they thought it was new, but it wasn't new. It was, <laughs> and and they thought it was cool, you know, and thus thus with the birth. Of cool, not smooth jazz, but actually cool jazz. And and to this day, the greatest selling album in jazz is Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. No, no, to this day, no one can outsell it. And you have to understand, he had a super band. I mean, he had Bill Leathers on piano. He had Cannonball Dally on alto. He had Coltrane on tenor. <laughs> and he was on trumpet. So, so these are some of the brightest minds. As I mentioned earlier, these are the the jazz architects. A real jazz musician, the real jazz musicians, are the ones who create the language, the scale systems for jazz. Everyone else, we're just players. <laughs> we're just students. But the real jazz musicians are the ones who create the language. And 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 Coltrane was so advanced. You, a musician to this day cannot play modern jazz unless you're using his scale system. Mm-hmm. Those are the real killers. <laughs> now, what you've just done, what you've just done mm-hmm. I don't know how many college professors have been able to do this, but you have given one of the most engaging breakdowns of uh, <laughs> music theory that I've ever heard. And mm-hmm. I'm talking from all the way from the classical steps all the way down to jazz because you told a story of not just the musicians and their names, but the reasons they made their music the way that they did as an expression right. of the time, as a way to tell a story, as a way to preserve uh, with Mal Davis, as a way of, of reaching back to the beginning of the beginning. Um, you right. just made this all a very, it was like I was flipping through a comic book of characters. <laughs> so they're not just men on album covers or men who lived before me or men that I don't understand. You just, everyone... Right. Their whatever struggle or whatever understanding they had came through in their artistry. Right, but, and, and I, I love I love what you just mentioned because it was the struggle that produced them. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. It's just like you put so much pressure on the rock, it's going to you're going to create a diamond, and that's exactly what happened. 
with, with Parker and Miles Davis coming up in the height of, of Jim Crow and, and racism mm-hmm. and being discriminated against, in order to get gigs or, or to play shows, you had to be the best. You literally, you just couldn't be good. You had to be the best. And that's one of the reasons why Dizzy Gillespie and, and Charlie Parker were, were playing uh, jazz at, at that speed and, and playing those riffs. Say you that know, again. Height. Start over where you said, and that's the reason why your phone pushed a dial tone or something, and I'll take that out. And you said, that's why Dizzy Gillespie and... But I was saying that's why Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker um, were playing at such a high high velocity and high speed, high um, because they were trying to to do something that that no one else and no other musician could do. It's almost like how Jesse Owens had to jump further and run faster than any other uh, athlete because of the racism and because of the social pressures. That the social pre- in other, in other words, they 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 couldn't drink at the same fountain. As as the Caucasian man, they couldn't eat in the same restaurant, as, and and a lot of times they couldn't even be men. They they were called boys. Mm-hmm. When they were on the stage, when they were on the stage, they were the men. They were men on the stage. No not, no Caucasian at that time could 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 come close, and and most musicians to this day cannot come close. They still cannot come close. And I I remember um listening to an interview um by Marcus Miller, the great modern jazz master. He's a jazz bass player. And Marcus Miller uh, produced a, a tune for Miles Davis uh, called Tutu. And, and in the interview, uh, Marcus was so excited, and he was asking Miles, wow, Miles, you, you played with Charlie Parker and you played with Coltrane? I mean, wasn't it great? I mean, how, and, and Miles was like, no, it wasn't great. No, it wasn't great playing with him. He said, every time I play with Parker and Gillespie and, and Coltrane, they make me want to throw my horn away. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. They were that advanced. Mm-hmm. And, and, they, and, and Parker, of course, Coltrane, they died in their 40s. Uh, Miles kept, you know, he lived further, lived, you know, much, much older, and he never reached their level. He never reached their level of, of genius. He never reached their level. Allah gave him something else. Allah gave Miles something special. Mm-hmm. You know, when I listen to Miles, Miles is so beautiful. It, 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 when I, comparing to Coltrane, I would say Miles is the sky and Coltrane is the sun. My Miles is just wow. so cool. He, 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 well, his phrases and how uh, open his phrases were and how long his phrases were will allow the hot players, uh, the Tannabout Adelies, the, the Coltrane's, uh, the Lee Morgans, the real hot, fast players, the Freddie Hubbards, to come in, the, the Winton Marcellus, the hot players, to come in and be butterflies or to be flowers and, and to move quickly and, and to do things very re- reflective of nature, but in a very uh, fast way, where Miles was the opposite. Miles was cool. He was the, the cool water, the, the, the soothing water, where, where Train was the exploding supernova. That that's that's those so uh, those were my influences. You know that that's the ultimate influence is John Coltrane. I, I consider him the greatest musician that ever lived. Uh-huh. So we take Beethoven and Mozart years to write. Maybe Mozart is the exception because Mozart was similar to Coltrane as far as the improvisation. But we take Beethoven years. Coltrane would improvise instantly. 
you know, he would he would practice 14, 15 hours every day. That, that's these are that's these are high levels. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. now coming away from now coming down, I would say coming down from that level to the pop world, I would say Michael Jackson, uh, considered probably the greatest pop entertainer that ever lived. Period. I mean, he's a when I look at Michael, I look at so many other influences inside of him. So when I'm looking at Michael Jackson, I'm looking at James Brown, I'm looking at Marvin Gaye, I'm looking at Stevie Wonder, all combined into one. So I would say he would be a great influence. Stevie Wonder, of course, and, and Sting. But hopefully this is not too long on, on the influences, but those are those those are my influences and why. No, I didn't I think it's really good because as you stated, like with Michael Jackson, who um I'm a staunch fan of he was an amalgamation of everything that reached his ears and his interpretation of what those people had developed that he liked, that he later put out as his own. And you find out when you listen to him from his dance moves all the way from Fred Astaire to, to just modern day. And so when you watch his things, you see different flavors that he concocted to make his, his own mix. And that's the same thing with you. I'm hearing the excitation in mm-hmm. your voice of all the artists that you're listening to. So when people come to your show or they purchase your music and just take a listen, even though it's your own, your own brew to take a word from Miles Davis album is your own brew. It's a lot of um, elixirs that you put in it to make your own, your very own brew, your own unique flavor. Right. 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 I think it was a great Mozart who said, you know, there was no great artist that he wasn't aware of, you know, that he, he wasn't aware of. So a, a true honest artist will always listen Especially to other musicians and other artists who are better, you know, if, you, if you're wise, you 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 better. <laughs> so we're always listening and always trying to learn and always trying to synthesize those influences. Because a lot of times you you uh, have writer's block. It's almost like breathing in and out. You know, you can only write so much. You can only breathe out so much. And at some point, you have to breathe back in. So in our case, we're breathing other influences in, and somehow it becomes a synthesis and then when you breathe it back out it's actually you. You know, you you're you know, that's the blessing of of, of uh art, you know, of, of, of true artists who are who are constantly learning and synthesizing it. You you make it unique. You know, so yeah, you know, Michael Jackson may have uh took that lick uh from Stevie Wonder. <laughs> you know, Stevie Wonder came up with that first. Mm-hmm. But Michael took it and made it his own. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and uh how Michael would dance certain ways like Freddie Astaire, but mm-hmm. Freddie Astaire, you know, couldn't do it like Michael. Exactly. You know, Michael took from Freddie, and he did things with it. You know, we know the moonwalk came with the breakdancing earlier, but I've never seen anyone do it like Michael. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's those, it's those influences. And there was also that, a uh, humbleness, too, because you, you see people now, um, and the street turner used to say when you're biting somebody's style or jocking their style, you'll see people snatch from other people. But like you mentioned, Michael always gave homage. And I hear you right. paying homage to the people who have influenced you. I think that also creates a hum- humble musician because you also acknowledge the ones who were there. Like you said, you're you're always open to learning and, and you help people say, you know, they helped carve me into who I was by what they did. So I think that's another good trait, that humbleness, that character. Right, 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 right. I, I strongly, I strongly agree. You have to remain humble if you want to learn. Mm-hmm. And if if you stop learning, you stop growing. You know, and if you stop growing, then you stop creating. 
You know, you stop creating, you're not an artist at that point. Wow. You know, so you that's have that. to remain humble. Mm-hmm. That to be the end of that. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, you're listening to another episode of the Radiant Brilliant Show with your host, Kimberly Kalima, the show where culture meets conversation. Our guest this evening is Kachabi, singer, songwriter, and accomplished musician. Throughout the show, snippets from some of his works can be heard. Thank you again for listening, and now back to the show. Now, in your <laughs> biography, I mentioned earlier before you came on that you uh, orchestrate the flute, saxophone, synthesizer, piano, and vocals. So you literally right. could be a one-man band. Right. It, it, in some cases, I'm forced to do it only because of budget. I... My preference, of course, is to work with other top musicians and to feed off of them. I always say the music swells and, and it actually is better that way. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, I, my instructor, Dr. Leander, started me on the woodwinds for health reasons. But when I became a um, music major in college, they immediately put me on piano. If I would have known that, I would have learned piano as a kid. But uh, that's one thing for those who may, young youngsters who may be listening to this and thinking about music, please pick up the piano. You know, uh, learn piano. Even if you want to play drums or guitar, learn the piano too. If, if you if you want to become serious about music and major in music, uh, learn piano. So that's so because that's the composer's instrument. You know, I, I write from the piano, and a lot of times. Uh, I could well. I, I write an orchestra from piano. I'll put it that way. And then, of course, uh, playing piano, you can easily switch over to keyboards or synthesizers for, and that goes into programming and sound design. And that's a whole another you know, electronic music. That's a whole another, a whole another world. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I remember. Um, um, I think jazz. Um, I'm, I'm heading back to jazz, and, and I was just thinking about even Michael Jackson. You know, he was from the Motown school. And a lot of people may or may not realize this, but the foundation of the Motown musicians, they were all jazz musicians. You know, Barry Gordy wanted the best, and he wanted musicians that can play anything. A lot of the symphony players around the country, Boston Symphony, St. Louis Symphony, uh, you put any sheet music in front of them, they'll, they'll play it. They'll just read it. But if you take the sheet music away from them and say, okay, it's time to improvise, or mm-hmm. put some chord progressions without the notes, some of them will lock up. They will literally freak out. <laughs> Because it's a different discipline. It, it it comes from a different. It comes from us, from African Americans. It comes from from our culture. And if they're not used to improvising or thinking on the on the fly, they'll they'll uh, they'll lock up. Michael Jackson. That that's the school he was from, and and uh, he he come from the from the jazz musicians, whether he realized it or not. Uh, the Funk Brothers, all, all the the backbone of the Motown sound, they were all jazz musicians. I, I think it all just comes back back to that. Uh, I think jazz is is the pinnacle of of musical thought at this stage. It even surpassed classical. Classical is great for discipline, mm-hmm. but when it's time to break the rules, and it's almost like you flying an airplane, and then the airplane becomes disassembled in midair, and then you reassemble it in midair, and then land the plane. Wow, <laughs> that's jazz to break to break the rules, right? <laughs> so a great jazz musician, we, we call it playing in and out. We can stay within the rules of classical, and then we can break the rules. We can play outside this scale system, and immediately when those notes start to clash, it causes tension. And 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 sometimes that's what the artist is trying to do: cause tension, and then 
and then before the music ends, it plays back into the system and it resolves it. And that's life. It's just a reflection of life. You know, you, you may start off with tension being born, and then you, everything is smooth, and, and then you have troubles in life, and then you resolve. I like how you I like how you worked that little life lesson in there just now. A little insight. <laughs> a little insight. Now, if someone is listening and they wanted to get into the industry, I know that there are honestly kind of two types. There is one where you play locally and you play not on a I'll say a lower level but not necessarily a lesser level with a lot of musicians who have done pretty well for themselves not going into mainstream. And then there is one that's on the mainstream where you're on the circuit, where you're on everybody's list. Do you have a recommendation of one over the other? And how do you how do you break into that? Right. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. And I'll put it this way. Back in 1992, uh, my brothers and I, we were signed with Island Polygram Records. Island, the label, Polygram is our distributor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris Blackwell, the owner of Island, signed us in um, who else assigned? Uh, Sting, I think, was with, with them at that time. Uh, Janet Jackson did some work with them. They paid us a lot of money, and we produced the, the um, masters and turned everything on time. Uh, Spike Lee heard the music, was excited, wanted to do the video. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> they were about to explode. This was in 1992. And then two months before our release date, Chris Blackwell sells the label. He sells Island Records to our distributor, Polygram, and then Polygram in turn drops the entire African-American department, not just the artists. Mm. They fired all of the executives, all of the ENR, everyone, you know, the accountants, the entire African-American department. They they thought glamour rock was going to be the future. They didn't like hip-hop. They didn't like R&B. They didn't see that coming. And, And consequently, we were, of course, was dropped in that process we try to shop our music in this case, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm just making, I'm bringing this all up to give you an, an insight of how the um, um, major, uh, major world industry. of, of commercial yeah. music works. So we, we were shopping the music to Warner Brothers and, and shopping it to, to different uh, companies, and, and one of the critiques that kept coming back is, where's the sex? Where's the sex of the music? Wow. And at that time... Uh, R. Kelly had just came out with Honey Love, mm-hmm. and, they, and they wanted my brothers, my younger brother was the lead singer at the time. He was 10, and they wanted us to do music like that. Well, well, well. Yeah, in 1992. So, no, so, no. <laughs> but but oh. the, the, the direct answer is that it's very difficult to, to, to succeed in the current um, establishment. And, and it was a little more organized, I think, back in the 90s. It's even more... Uh, disjointed. It's even more yeah. uh, uh, disintegrated. In fact, a lot of the music industry has folded, has collapsed upon itself. And I think it's karma, but but a lot of it has collapsed upon itself. Okay, that's that's the lay of the land. Now we're trying to enter that. If we're talking of African American people trying to enter into this, my recommendation is is to become independent. Mm-hmm. To, to be as independent as possible and to reach the market directly. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, that we're doing, and, and I'm, I'm working with Dr. Uh, Regina Grimes and Jimmy Muhammad. He's a CPA out of Altadena, California. Jimmy is Muslim. What I love about what they're doing is that they're actually forming a bank. They're literally forming a, um, a credit union. 
just slipping me the name of it. Uh, in fact, they've formed it, and they're accepting shares. Because when you think of all of the major movie studios or major record labels or distributors, you're really looking at banks. You're really looking at financial producers who are pushing their product. Sony, you look at Sony, Universal, BMG, uh, Warner Brothers, those are the, the big four. You're really looking at four major banks who are pushing uh, their product and pushing what they believe is going to sell. Uh-huh. In most cases, is sex. They don't care. Uh, a lot of them do not care about the consequences as long as it brings the, um, the, the bottom line. Now, there's one gentleman uh-huh. that um, that I think highly of, and uh, I've recently spoke with him for an upcoming interview, Brother Wally Ali. And he went Mm -hmm. into a great depth of history regarding what he saw out on the scene, um, what he participated in, who he got to know and everything. But when I posed that question to him as far as, so there are Muslims who are interested in going into the entertainment world and and should they do it? And it's wide open. He said, no, I wouldn't recommend it. Mm -hmm. And then our discussion Mm -hmm. went further unless there was something created that harbored our values that harbored how we understand things because there's a lot of selling of the soul for people mm. who are trying to get a different type of success. And so hearing right. what you're saying right mm. now, they're trying to create the foundation a lot of times, which is just the financial backings, which it's the economics. That's the difference between uh, getting your, as simple as a movie played, as simple as getting exactly. a movie viewed, a very, good friend of mine who has worked with uh, Omar Regan with American Sharia and the his project that he created, which is Halaliwood, to give uh, Muslim writers, directors, performers a voice and a platform for that medium of, of art right. representing Muslims. It's been that same thing, you know, sometimes who had the fattest wallet, it didn't matter who had the integrity. It didn't matter who was bringing the morals or who was bringing the substance. It was all about the dollar. So that's interesting that, you know, that seems to be a common theme. We need to grow our own resources so that we can grow our own businesses and everything else. Of course. You know, when when I think of Hollywood, I'm thinking of the Jewish networks. I'm not angry at the Jews. They are implementing and supporting their existence Mm -hmm. and and supporting their thinking and supporting their interests and their people. The Muslim part of me makes my mind universal. It makes me want to produce for the world, mm-hmm. but especially for African-American people, mm-hmm. especially. So uh, Wally Ali was one of my mentors. I, mm-hmm. I, I know Wally very well. Okay. <laughs> he's a great, great, uh, again, back to jazz. He's a great yeah. jazz musician. Yes, sir. And I, I met uh, Brother Wally in Los Angeles. He's, he's, he's very strong. Mm-hmm. And another mentor who I think is even really strong is uh, Brother Nolan Shaheed. Are you familiar with Nolan Shaheed? I am not. Tell us about him. Oh, my God. Nolan, wow. Nolan is the former music director of Marvin Gaye, former music director of Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. former music director of Nita Baker, former <laughs> music director of Phil Collins. He was, he, he was in the West Coast Horns. He played on Off the Wall, played on Thriller. And Nolan is one of the top jazz trumpet players in the world today. Mm-hmm. He's one of the few men that I know will personally kick Quincy Jones' butt. <laughs> wow, and that's a lot. So Nolan, he's, Quincy Jones. Yes, yeah, he's yeah. a strong mentor. And I remember... Quincy um, also had roots in jazz, too. Uh, uh, say, say that again? Quincy Jones also had his roots in jazz. Oh, of course, of yeah. course. He's a great... So Quincy's strength, see, uh, his strength, he's a trumpet player as well, but his strength has always been arranging. 
Mm-hmm. Quincy is a great arranger, and he brought that strength even to how he produced music as, as a great arranger. Mm-hmm. But uh, the greatest musician that I've ever met personally, uh, and he just passed away, his name is Joel, um, uh, Joel Scott, uh, a piano player. He's the greatest musician I've ever heard. He's he, re- even better than my former teacher, uh, Dr. Leander. I've never heard musicianship on that level. He was Michael Jackson's former piano player. Mm. And I remember uh, recording with Nolan. Uh, Nolan owns a, his studio out in Pasadena. And, and um, recording a jazz album, I said, Nolan, I want the best musicians. He said, okay. So the next day, I come in the studio and uh, I see this Asian kid on the drums. I'm like, okay, cool. This is my drummer. No, he was bringing in the drums for his mentor, for his teacher. Um, um, geez, I'm, I'm forgetting uh, his name now, but he, he was a part of the Funk Brothers uh, at Motown. And he is in the 70s. He was on drums. James Leary, who's a two-time Grammy Award winner for bass, was on bass. And Joel Scott was sitting at the piano. And when I heard Joel play, I'm not, he, he, he was playing a tune, um, uh, Me more uh, that I wrote, and, and, and he played it for me. And he, he honestly made me cry. He was like, and then Nolan looked at me and said, man, is that what you want? <laughs> I was like, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was I couldn't. I could feel I, I know, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Joel, Joel, um, um, I, I, he, he, you know, today there is McCoy Tyner. He's still alive. Uh, that was Coltrane's piano player. Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, and then obviously then there was Joel. That's the level he was on. He was on. He was on a. He he's on a high high level. He made me nervous. He made me nervous. One of the tunes I wanted to remake was uh, Coltrane's Giant Steps that I mentioned earlier. It took me it took me about two months to learn it. And and when I brought the music in, I had, you know, the sheet music for all the musicians. Joe looked at me and said, we got a kid. I was like, what? And he said, what key do you want to play it in? I'm like, what? <laughs> it took me two months to learn in this In the key. way it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, they, you know, and when I was in college, we used to work out of the real books. You know, our textbooks were literally the master's music, you know, um, Duke Ellington's, um, Charlie Parker's, Coltrane, their music was our textbook. Mm-hmm. And I literally brought my textbook to, in the studio. They had memorized all that. That When I, when I, I looked at Joel on another level, I, I've never seen that before. I, I've never seen that before. I'm like, oh, my God. And when I heard him play, mm-hmm. that, that's on such a high level. Anyway, <laughs> I know I'm digressing. But, uh, but back to uh, the need of... of um, of of entering the music business, I, I concur and agree with Brother Wally Ali in this sense, is that yes, I I wouldn't suggest working with any of the majors unless you have a very good attorney. That would be the only caveat, the only exception, and to make sure that you're protected with the, with the contract. The contract has to protect the artist. You need a very good attorney, and perhaps an attorney that that attorney don't know about to check him or her. Uh, so, so it's, it's very difficult. But ultimately, especially as African Americans, period, mm-hmm. we need to create our own uh, um, label and, and and our own bank to our own 
financial uh, muscle to push uh, whatever we're doing culturally, to push uh, the, the, the financial muscle will pay for physical security. And, and we already have our security uh, and, no, and, and, and even private security firms that were derived from the uh, NOI and that evolved through email Muhammad. That's the school, that's the thinking that I've come from. But we have those security teams in, in place. And to, to protect our interests, even physically, even physically, and, and to protect our artists and our interests, even physically. And then, of course, we need the inter intellectual giants, you know, the CPAs, the attorneys, um, to, to protect us. Now, at this stage, um, as I mentioned, well, no, I didn't mention this, but um, the Muslim Convention, the annual Muslim Convention in Chicago is, is coming uh, soon. And I've been asked to give a, um, a seminar on the music business. And, and one, one of the things I've already done is work with some of the background thinkers. One of the thinkers I'm working with, his name is, he's an attorney, attorney Lee Young Jr. Uh, now Lee Young is the former president of Motown. When, when, when Barry Gordy decided to sell Motown, Lee was the attorney that handled all of that, but he's the former, um, uh, president, you know, he was vice president, I believe, of ABC Records, and then later he was promoted to uh, the president of, of uh, distribution, and then later the president of, of everything, just just the president of Motown. And uh, the last time I, I spoke with Lee, he's in his 70s. These are walking encyclopedias. These are walking mm -hmm. think tanks. These are walking geniuses. Um, I called Lee, and I said, Lee, well, how, how much do you charge an hour? I, I need to, I need to consult with you. And I think at that time, I think it was 400 or 500 an hour. I said, okay, okay, give me a couple of hours. And I saved my money. I met with Lee. And I said, Lee, tell me everything. What's, what's going on with the music industry? <laughs> and then he, he, he started talking. And I started writing and, and, and turned my recorder on. And, and then I watched the, the clock. I'm like, okay, okay, we uh, <laughs> and I'm getting my money out. And then Lee said, don't, don't insult me. He said, don't insult me. You put your money away. That this is this exactly what he told me. And I said, Lee, I said, Lee, I want to recreate something like Motown. You know what he told me? He, he laughed and he said, I still have the blueprints. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> yes. So, so these are the type of thinkers. Um, mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, you know, this, uh, first off, you know, as Muslims, we fear nothing but Allah. Mm -hmm. So we have the courage to do. Uh, do we have the love for each other as African Americans? Have we broke those mental um, um, viruses, if you will, from Jim Crow and slavery? Mm -hmm. do, do, have broken enough to love each other enough to to do something like this for our people? I, I answer a resounding yes. I'm, I'm one of the the people, but there are others like me who are already engaged. Uh -huh. so as I mentioned, uh, Regina Grimes, Dr. Grimes, um, uh, CPA uh, uh, Muhammad, they have already uh, formed a credit union. And then from that credit union, as we build financial muscle, we will, inshallah, God willing, um, build our own 
entertainment industry, not just record label. We want our own industry. So the the model that you mentioned earlier yeah. to have the financial backing, mm-hmm. uh, all the actors, um, uh, the brother that uh, 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 brother Omar Regan. I, yeah. I, I know him too. Yeah, I, I met him as well. Okay. I think in Pasadena as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would have the financial backing. We don't have to beg anyone. Yeah. We'll wow. we'll have mm-hmm. the bank, and and we'll have the mm-hmm. financial muscle. We'll have the intellectual muscle. We'll have the physical muscle. And, and and we already got the Quran. And no, no one's stopping us. Foundation. Inshallah. Inshallah. No, no one, no man, woman, or gen is going to stop this. It's, it's too late. I'm afraid I have to We're on the move. I like everything we're, that we're you just said. That is just so, you ain't no stopping us now. <laughs> that is very encouraging, very exciting. Mm. Uh, and there was a sister that I interviewed not too long ago named Malika Shabazz. And she's a, a movie director. And writer mm. also, and she was saying that for those people who don't think that they have a talent, then lend your support. So that would be the other part that I would add to that component. You've got the courage. We've established, you know, the love for one another, the kinship, the community, basically, the resources in the Quran. And then the people who want, we all want everyone to get there in one way or another, either to be the ones creating or the ones to enjoy what we create. So exactly. I would ask for people who are listening if you you find someone who is, you're able to relate to, they're representing you. They've got something out there that's telling your story, helping you relax on a long drive. Support them. Go see them. Buy their music. Tell others about them. And you can keep the cycle going. Keep that cycle of goodness going. Another question that I had for you also, being a Muslim and being in entertainment can sometimes be a quandary. What good do you hope to accomplish or bring forward with your efforts? with the things that you do. Right. Okay, beautiful. Uh, allow me to approach it two, twofold because we have to address um, being a Muslim and, and an entertainer that, that mm-hmm. or dealing with music. And I, I realize this is controversial, you know, we, we, so we have to address that and then I'll come back and address what I'm trying to accomplish with it. Well, first off, I realize there are different schools of thought uh, concerning music. Uh, some think is uh or frowned upon, some think is haram, straight out forbidden, and, and others think it's halal, you know, or or, or maybe they were even indifferent. Mm-hmm. So what what I say, you know, this is me, uh, you know, I, I respect all the different branches, all the different thoughts of Al mm-hmm. you know, I, I I don't want to disrespect anyone, but I I'm this is my thinking and analysis because I'm Muslim and I'm, I'm not a, you know, I want to say I'm a scholar in Al-Islam, but I understand Al-Islam, and, and I'm, a, I'm a musician. I won't say I'm a scholar in, in music, but I do understand the, the, the foundation and the fundamentals of music. So now, allow me to share something. Music, the foundation of music is very simple. With three basic elements. You have uh, melody, you have rhythm, and you have harmony. That, that's the foundation of music, period. Probably rhythm first. You have rhythm, melody, and then harmony. Now, when when a Muslim called the Adhan, they're already engaging in two of those elements, whether they like it or not. You cannot call the Adhan without using melody. You can't call the Adhan without using rhythm. And when we all stand in prayer, and the Imam say, um, uh, he ends our Fatiha or ends a surah, 
and we all see I and me, whether we like it or not, or realize it or not, we're in harmony. We're 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 literally uh, vocalizing different frequencies, different tones simultaneously, which create that harmony. That is the foundation of music. I don't believe music is haram. I believe haram music is haram. Just like I don't believe food is haram. I believe haram food is haram. You know, um, and it's the same thing with Tashweed. When, when we recite the Quran, uh, there, is a certain, there is a certain melody, there is a certain uh, length, uh, a duration of tone. That duration of tone is actually rhythm that you have to use if you want to recite the Quran using Tashweed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see, so my thinking is is looking more at nature itself, looking at the frequency itself, and and looking at the logic of what I'm dealing with it's, itself. And I believe when some Muslims really look at this and use reason, I think they'll see what I'm saying. And some Muslims do understand it. I realize this is faith, and and faith uh, doesn't necessarily need logic. I remember studying with a Baptist minister one time, and we were going over the Trinity. We kept going back and forth. And I said, but the Trinity is not logical. And, and you know what he said? He said, I know, but this is faith. He said, I don't, I don't understand it, but I believe it. So I, I respect that. And, and Al-Islam is a faith. Christianity is a faith. Judaism is a faith. There's different systems within each faith, each major faith. There's different branches of Judaism, different branches of, of Al-Islam, different branches of Christianity, and it all requires faith. But the way, as I mentioned, the way I was taught was to have a logical faith, mm-hmm. a logical faith, and uh, to try to uh, align my faith with the logic of nature in particular, you know, a biologic, chemical logic, we're talking music, so acoustical logic. Everywhere I look, I see logic. Everywhere. Anything that works accurately and precise is logical. So why do my faith have to be illogical? You know, I would argue Allah's creation, Allah God, creation is logic. I would argue that when Allah speaks, the actual programming is logical. And that things that are illogical actually disintegrates over time. That, that that would be my my argument anyway. But as, as this ties into to music, mm-hmm. um, uh, I would I would say that uh, halal music is uh, halal music is what's halal. You know, music is not haram. Haram music is haram. You know, if you singing um, about haram things, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, yeah, or you bring in a a spirit that has come from a haram circumstance, or you're recreating a haram uh, circumstance in your music, then, then, yeah, you don't have to look that. Okay, Trey songs, Nicki Minaj, yeah. uh, Rihanna, you don't have to look far. If, if you want to know what haram music is, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let them all turn on the video. You know, you, you be a Muslim, you have to make wudu. That's <laughs> why... Some of, some of those videos, you're like, oh my God, I need to make Hajj after this. Wow. <laughs> so, so yeah, but um, but when when you know the great Imam Wafi Muhammad says 
that when he looked at some of the indigenous people, when they're working and, and putting in production, when they're out, you know, bringing in the fish or out in the sugar cane, they're all singing, singing together, using music to produce production for the community. That's what I'm talking about. That should be the, um, the uh, purpose, uh, one of the purposes of music. And the highest level, you know, of, of music is for healing. You know, I, I'm just trying to get to the level where I make people happy. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, Coltrane, I mean, they were on the point, they were actually literally trying to use sound to heal people. But that's, that's a whole nother, uh, most musicians can, will never reach that level. You know, that, that's, that's a whole nother level. Okay, that's, part, that's the first part. Now, okay. the second part, what, what I would love to accomplish, what I'm trying to do is actually twofold. Um, the, the first part is to be a direct alternative to popular culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be the exact opposite of the sexploitation. Yeah, that's what I'll call it. Uh, the misogyny that we hear in, in what is past as hip-hop today and, and rap, I want to produce an exact alternative to that to actually bring back what I believe is real hip, hip-hop. And you, and you probably know better than me being on the East Coast. The hip, when you say hip, that's the knowledge. That's you, You're in the know. The hop was the music. But the hip is that you know what's going on. And you, you're turning, especially the youngsters, you're turning the youngins, you know, the younger generations on to what will help them and, and help them survive in this environment, and, and then later help them thrive in this environment. So, so culturally, I, I want to not only create a revolution, I, I, want, I want to create an alternative, vibrant reality, a, a literal community life of artists, of all, uh, multiple artists, of, 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 of uh, different types of music, but reflecting the African-American culture. So that's one part of it. And then the second part is to make sure that we have, as I mentioned before, uh, develop our own financial muscle, mm-hmm. our own security, physical security, and, and our own intellectual uh, security to sustain what we build. Because Motown is gone now. It's not owned by us anymore. And that's owned by Universal, which is French. And that's a French company. So mm-hmm. Motown is considered the greatest record label in history, but it was, it was us, it was African-American mm-hmm. uh, driven. And, and but we, what, what do we have now? You know, now, now, and then I'll end with this. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm obviously listening. You can tell I'm very pro-African-American. I, I don't mean I'm anti-Caucasian mm-hmm. or anti-Asian or anything like that. You know, it, it's not that. In fact, I love Thai food. <laughs> you know, I love Chinese food. I love Italian there ain't nothing on this earth like some halal soul food with a slice of bean pie, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> with, some, with some ice cream on top. You see, what are, we, what are we producing as a people? That's my point. Exactly. And, and you bring in the type of thing in the dean, Allah says he created all the different hues, all the different colors. Not that we hate each other. Mm-hmm. So we can love and learn from each other. Come so, on. yeah, there's a place for us to come to the table, too. Yeah. And where's our respect? as African-Americans, where's our dignity? Now, I, I respect the Taiwanese and their banking system. I respect the Jews. and their, Where's our bank? Where's, our, where's the African-American uh, Wall Street? Where's our system? Where's our entertainment network? Where's our entertainment industry? Mm. That's my dream. That, that's my immediate dream. 
And that puts uh, a little and, bit of that puts a little bit of accountability back onto ourselves. Of course. About that back of course. Ourselves. Well, I'm going to mention these four names because I will be wrapping this up pretty soon, but this has been a very uh, historical, very educational mm-hmm. uh, and buoyant conversation. I like how even though you've mentioned some very serious things, you've kept everything in an uplifting mode. I appreciate that. Right. You didn't give us anything <laughs> dark and and brooding and depressing. You're like, this is how it is, but this is how we can make it better. This is how it was, but right. this is how it changed. This is what they did, so this is what we can do. So I, I really appreciate that encouragement. But mm-hmm. these four mm-hmm. people, I'll mention these, and I'm sure you're going to know, but for the people who are listening, I'm going to mention four names and tell me what they had in common. Yusuf Latif, Ahmad Jamal, Art Blakey, and John Coltrane. Oh, man. They're all jazz masters. <laughs> and, they oh, were, wow. and they were all Muslim. Uh, yeah. 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 I, it's so beautiful. I, it, yeah. Yeah. And I, I would I say with the terms, you know, you, Art Blakey, man, you can't hear uh, John Coltrane. Oh, my goodness. It's so many. There are so many. Mm-hmm. In one conversation that we had before the interview started, you said how there were so many, even though people that are asking a lot of us to refrain from the expression of art that is music, the musical vein. You mentioned that there were so many Muslims that were already involved behind the scenes for decades. Could you elaborate on that a little bit and leave that with with our audience? Because there are things that are going on in some of our African-American communities. And I mentioned this on almost every interview that I have, where we are being discouraged from anything that is a part of our, our culture, not because it's wrong, but because it is not a, a majority of Muslim culture. Well, allow me to approach it uh, twofold. I, okay. I will start directly, and I mentioned uh, my one of my mentors, um, a brother Nolan Shahid. He's one of the main thinkers and, and um, people uh, in the background uh, that were very, very strong. And as I mentioned, uh, Marvin Gaye's director, uh, Donna Ross, Anita Baker, um, uh, Phil Collins, and he was the music directors. You know, I remember when I was in the studio, um, I, I was having a little difficulty um, scoring some of my music, and, and no one saw me playing on the piano. He understood exactly what I was trying to do, wrote out the scores for the rest of the band, and, and I, I looked at Nolan in a different light. Uh, but there, but there, there are others who, who were very strong. Uh, Billy Higgins, who have passed... Um, uh, and also um, uh, Kareem Sully, who's who's a uh, top top uh, drummer in, in, in Muslim in, in the background, probably played on more records than I can even count. Mm-hmm. But one of the main um, uh, people he played with was Freddie Hubbard, who who's a hot in, in the jazz world. We consider them hot players. And um, so so we, from my estimation, as an African American and as a Muslim. I don't believe we have a choice. It's almost like if you lay down in the park or lay down in the middle of a field and don't get up, and then all of a sudden these ants and different insects that come and start eating on you and, and <laughs> making you sick. I mean, whose fault is that? I mean, you're the one laying down. Mm. You know, we, we can't stand still. We, we, we live in an active system. You know, the, as I mentioned, there, there are those who... We're not holding up our standards of morality. We're pushing their products into the environment, influencing our children indiscriminately. 
So those are conscious, not even Muslim. If you're Muslim, great. If you're not, if you're a conscious person and want to put positive things in this environment, in our culture, you you have no choice. So that's number one. And then two, from a business perspective, when you look at um, how it seems like multiple groups and interests are appropriating from our culture. They want our culture. They want our music. They want our look. They want our dress. They don't want us. You know, so if we are to protect our people, protect our legacy, we have to do it for that reason too. And then the third reason I've already mentioned is to bring the dignity for for our people. That's how we can gain gain the respect. So that's the first part of it. Now the second part of it, which goes to Al Islam, and and those who may think that we may be outside of of certain um, norms, they're, they're probably right that we're outside of those norms. Uh, I remember listening to uh, an imam from uh, Indiana, and he's a student of Imam Wafi Muhammad, and and the subject matter was on the Caliphate and and how they uh, use the symbol of uh, he went through different symbols, you know the 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 church, you know, symbol is the cross, you know, and the Jews, you think of the Jews, you think of the Star of David. What symbol do you think of when you think of Al-Islam? Sorry, the, the moon, moon is, like, yeah. But what did Prophet Muhammad say that he rejected when they were trying to corrupt him? He said, even if you give me the moon in one hand, you remember that? <laughs> and the sun in the other hand. The sun is, the star is the sun. The star is the sun. That's yeah. all that is. And, and the Prophet rejected that. Yeah, how did that become our symbol? But yet, that's the mainstream, the most Muslims. So, yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't, you know, I, again, I respect the different systems. You know, uh, just to give full disclosure, I'm, I'm, I am Muslim. I'm not Sunni. You know, I'm not Shia. I'm, I, I, I respect those systems. I'm not, uh, I don't follow the policy, uh, you know. And I would answer was Prophet Muhammad Salam Shia? Was Prophet Muhammad Sunni? Was he Ahmadiyya? Was he following the Salafi school? You see? So Prophet Muhammad Salam was Muslim. And, and when you really think about it, Prophet Muhammad Salam loved Rasulullah Ibrahim. That's why we mention him every time we end Salah. And again, I mentioned Ibrahim. He was, he was, how, look, Al-Islam, and you may know this more than me, didn't start with Prophet Muhammad. You, you look at Prophet Muhammad's whole name, it's Muhammad Ibn, the son of Abdu'Allah. They knew about Allah before Prophet Muhammad was born. His daddy name was Abdu'Allah. You see, the slave of Allah. But where did that come from? It came from Abraham. It came from uh, uh, Prophet Abraham. And, and, and how did... And how did Ibrahim come uh, about Islam? The Quran explains it. Well, he looked at the sun. The sun set. He looked at the statues. The statues crumbled. He looked at nature. And, and those things would, would deteriorate over time. He said, it can't be God. But, but the real process, he was using deduction logic. And, and because he deduced correctly, what was his reward? He realized Al-Islam. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. That, that yes. now, now that's what that's what you know, Muhammad wanted us to be conscious of. You know, Muhammad didn't want us. I remember back in the seventies, he came out with a term called Bilalian. 
because he was trying to turn us to something that would give our people dignity. And then he dropped that. You know why? Because he didn't want to become a school like Maliki or because I'll put it this way. When I make wudu, when I wash for prayer, I like making wudu from clean, running water, not water that has been sitting stagnant for over a thousand years. I'll put it that way. So the Imam Muhammad always wanted us to use deduction, reasoning, logic to look at everything, to look, to read everything. What was the first idea Prophet Muhammad got? Read. Read. Read everything. The Quran wasn't there. What was he reading? He was reading nature, everything. Everything that we've learned, if we remain humble and we watch the bees, we watch um, uh, nature, we watch the molecular systems, the um, chemical systems, the biological systems, we, we, we read all of these ayahs in nature. Then, then, then we come to Quran, and then, then something that happens, you realize the analogous, they actually, they actually reflect each other. I believe, I, this is my personal belief, I believe the Quran is a direct reflection of nature. A direct reflection. There's no coincidence we have stories called, or the chapters in Quran called B, called Cow. <laughs> These are all reflections of nature. Very true. So, to, 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 end up, to, to end this part, for those who are trying to um, uh, handcuff us or uh, tie us up in their interpretation of, of Islam, I, I like to remind them from the Quran itself, from what Allah says himself, if you try to understand or exhaust the meaning of, of the Quran and the ayahs in the Quran, if, if, if all the oceans were, and you added several oceans, all the pens, you'll never exhaust the meaning. You'll never exhaust the meaning. It's infinite, infinite. And, and I realize there are certain schools of thought that believe the, the, the first two generations of Muslims have the best understanding of Al-Islam. And I always ask them, do they have a complete understanding when the Quran says it can't be exhausted? And if it's true that the Quran is analogous to the universe, guess what? The universe is expanding in all directions right now. <laughs> so that thing. tells me that the understanding they had two, three centuries ago, I mean, that's good. But time is still evolving. And things that we're learning now, the Quran, oh, oh my God, you go back to the Quran, oh, that's what it meant. And I'm sure a century from now, as technology continues to evolve, we go back to the Quran, oh my God, that's what it meant. You see? So, so for those who want to, you know, handcuff us to their interpretation, I respect that, but I, I know that the Quran is bigger than them. And I, and I know that the meaning of the Quran is bigger than them. Okay, well, one last part, one last part. And <laughs> okay. I, I like this analogy. <laughs> I like this analogy. When I was younger, <clears throat> I used to work for this hotel in Salt Lake City. It's called uh, the Grand America Hotel. It's the only five-diamond hotel in Salt Lake City. And usually these wealthy, rich people. And in the lobby of the hotel, they sometimes serve pure chocolate. And they have three different uh, chocolate fountains, you know, ch chocolate. And, but all three chocolates are different. But they come from one chocolate bean. So how is that possible? So what, 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 the, what the owners did, they planted some of the beans in uh, Venezuela 
some in California and some in France, but because of the pressures, you know, the minerals in, in each, you know, topography in, in each geographical location, the chocolate came out different. It ain't necessarily um, better than each than one another. It's just different. Now, when I think about the metaphs or the schools of thought, Maliki, uh, I think from Africa, Kenbali, Shafi, they came from different geographical locations, and they were processing al-Islam through that prism. Now, in the United States, we had a great thinker. His name was Emil Working Muhammad. And from this prism, and there's a famous hadith I, I, I like to, you know, it, it says that the sun will rise in the, rise in the west. <laughs> and, and, and we know what comes out of the west, the, the, the age of reason and logic. That's what, that's what, that's the chocolate you know, Muhammad is bringing. Mm. For those who try to handcuff us to their, I, look, I respect it, but from this particular um, set of circumstances, set of pressures, set of geographical pressures, um, political pressures, the, for every action, there's a reaction. The, the reaction to Jim Crow, the reaction to slavery from an Islamic perspective has already been has already been revealed. <laughs> and it can't be stopped. It can't be stopped. Alhamdulillah. It can't be stopped. It's already here. Because now we're looking at not just Al-Islam. We're, like the Quran said, we're free men now in the city. We're looking at everything through the prism of reason and logic. This is the age of reason and logic now. So I believe, you know, just like uh, uh, Joseph in, in, in Egypt, I believe we're like Joseph, uh, or Rasulullah Yusuf. I, I, I believe our community, our um, collective zygus, our collective consciousness, um, it has been has 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 come directly up from from this set of circumstances to counter it. It's just like it's just like if if you go to Africa, you may get sick just just because the germs are different. And and if you but those there probably wouldn't be sick because they've already developed the antibody for that environment. So you know Muhammad is like that chocolate of that antibody. <laughs> so those who who try to get us maybe no if I was in Palestine or, or it, maybe that'd be a different I'd be looking at things differently. You know but uh, in this environment um, we 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 interpret and, and look through the Quran using logic. And, and trust me, if you, anyone not, try reading the Quran but using pure reason and logic, you, you, oh my God, it is so, the, the results are, are dramatic. It, it is really dramatic. And one of the things you will find, and this may be controversial, I realize it's controversial, is that you will find that the Quran will interpret the Hadith versus the Hadith interpreting the Quran. Does that make sense? I hear uh, quite a few people mentioning that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear quite a few people. And, right. and just the fact that if, if you, you have a Hadith, one of the things, it's got to match up. You know, you've got to have it where it's it's based in Quran. So, right. Yeah. yeah. A lot of Muslims uh, from the Middle East, mm-hmm. especially they will use the hadith to interpret Quran because they believe the hadith is the sunnah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
But I, I love the Sunnah of Muhammad. You know, but how do we get to the Sunnah of Muhammad? When you think about Muhammad, uh, they say he was a walking Quran. <laughs> you, you implement Quran, you are implementing the Sunnah. <laughs> that's, see, that's the logic. That's the logic. You know, it, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And one other thing, too, I, it just dawned on me when, when I was um, studying his wife, uh, Khadija. Mm-hmm. And this is so interesting. And I found this so interesting when I was studying the history of Prophet Muhammad so so on. When, uh, and this may really be radical, but I, I, I just, just, just thinking about this, that when the revelation of Reed, when the angel Jibril, I believe this, that the angel Jibril did come, Gabriel, did come to uh, Muhammad ibn Abdullah the Prophet, so I so on. Um, that he didn't know what to make of it, that he it 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 rocked him, you know, it rocked him to the core, you know, he, he was he was he was extremely shaken up, you know, from that experience, and it was Khadija. Now check this out. This is what I find extremely beautiful. His wife Khadija says, "I know you're a good person, right there. I know you you have a good heart. You're a good person, and and because of this." You are Prophet Muhammad. Then think about that. She realized he was Prophet Muhammad before Prophet Muhammad realized he was Prophet Muhammad mm. by using logic, deduction, reasoning, logic. Okay, I'll end there. <laughs> yeah, that's heavy. That's heavy. Well, maybe I want to thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us this evening. And um, I was actually taking quite a few notes and. Some of the topics on another sheet of paper wouldn't even seem like they were related from Argentina, mm-hmm. Che Guevara, um, commerce, <laughs> Art Blakey. But if you listen to this interview, you would hear all the links <laughs> and how they, they correlate into something very, very positive in the um, in the Muslim community. And again, this show, we we choose to highlight Muslims in the arts because Artistry is another way of telling a story. There were times when all you had was the art because you couldn't be as expressive vocally or things happened so long ago. All we have are the examples of the culture. And it's usually told artistically. Art is also used to bring about a change or to express an idea. And I don't think it's anything different with us uh, that are Muslim. We have a lot of things on our mind. We have a lot of talents. We have a lot of accomplishments achievements and just globally all over the world we are a segment that they're they're coloring with a a very very dark crayon these days and inshallah you know the radiance of of the light that we contain and the brilliance of our talent is what we can use for this show and many other avenues of things you're doing and so many other people to help us shine to help promote the goodness to help people let it be the light to open their eyes to see what we're really all about We're really just the same as everyone else. So, inshallah, the interview you've given me this evening can be listened to over and over again by several people. They're going to learn a lot about musical history beyond the Mm -hmm. 80s, the 70s, the 60s. You're talking way back, oh, 1600s, 1700s. You went all the way back. You know, that's the real (laughs) old school. And then, you know, the correlation to jazz, which was one of our unique gifts 
to this country. A lot of people say African-Americans, oh, we don't have a culture. That was our unique gift to this country was jazz. You listed a lot of names that people could, if they listen, write them down, can actually take a small crash course in music theory from the classical (laughs) artists that you mentioned all the way up to the modern artistry of right now. So I thank you so much for that. Where can people go to listen to your music, to purchase your music, or possibly catch you live? Well, I, I would say immediately just um, uh, follow me or, or like me on Facebook, and I'll spell my name, which is K as in King, A as in Alpha, C as in Charlie, H as in Henry, E as in Upward, B as in Baseball, E as in Upward, E as in Upward. So my name is Kachabi, so please just uh, follow me on, on uh, Facebook. I, I haven't been as active. I, I do have a, tw- a Twitter account. Um, and, and I have to look at my Instagram. I have my daughter's helping me with that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just follow me on Facebook. That's immediate. If, if you're ever in Salt Lake City, uh, I normally play every Saturday night at the Tasty Thai restaurant, uh, some of the best Thai food. And that's a background story just on that. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. realize Thai people love jazz. But that, that's you know, the king of Thai. You know, we could talk about that at, at a different time. But I, I normally play every Saturday night. Uh, uh, from 7 to 9 at the Tasty Thai downtown uh, Salt Lake City. And then sometimes I will tour in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, so that that's I make my circuit between Los Angeles and, and Salt Lake City. Uh, but just one, one other quick note. I, I love how you said our contribution uh, to, um, uh, to the United States or, or to America. And, and, and it's not just jazz. I mean, it's sort of from slavery folk. Which of course gave birth to the uh, uh, to gospel, mm-hmm. which gave birth to the blues, mm-hmm. which gave birth to rock, rock and roll, mm-hmm. uh, everything. If it's American, it is ours, and 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 that's the third reason why we need to create a system where we can share in what we produce instead of being uh, having it taken all the time. But mm-hmm. everything from rock to rock and roll to heavy metal to jazz to to hip hop to rap to blues, to country, to bluegrass, to slavery folk, it all came from us, all of it, all of it. And even the greatest classical composer that they, the Europeans considered the greatest, Beethoven, Beethoven. was African too. Yep. <laughs> sure. So anyway, anyway I, I, not, again, I'm not anti-Caucasian or anti-Asian. I, I'm pro-African-American. No, and I, I, think I love them, to, but I love my own people. We got to get away from that where we have to feel like mm-hmm. we have to always, you know, offer an exception. Um, I learned at a very young age, you can be proud of who you are, celebrate who you are, have a warmth in your heart for where you come from in your history without hating someone else. Right. For some, right. some people make it sound like, oh, if you like this, then you must hate everything else. You can certainly have an appreciation for other cultures if there is nothing wrong with having an appreciation for your own. Exactly. And I think exactly. that's what's going Especially on here. Especially if they want us to consume, you know, their culture. I love Bruce Lee. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I love the Chinese culture, but do the Chinese love us? You know, you know so it's interesting. You yeah, know, I don't think there's anything wrong. I think for a very long time, we were discouraged from appreciating our own culture just because it was the majority. You know, there's a certain thing about assimilation. And if you mm. held on to where you came from or what you knew first, or if that was a comfort to you, you know, the good things, that was assumed that you will just not assimilate. And if you don't assimilate 100 percent, 
you're just going to cause problems. We need you to debrief yourself. And I don't think mm-hmm. you necessarily need to, to do that. Like you said, we were created um, in different tribes to learn from one another. Everybody has something beautiful to bring to the table, this yeah. fabric of America, this fabric of Islam, this fabric of the world. I think if we kind of look at that a little bit better, you know, look at it not as they have something different from mine and different is bad. No, different is just different. Yes. It's just I I strongly concur. Okay. Well, I want to thank you again for joining us. Um, Of course, um, we're already Facebook friends, and I'll be checking you out. Any upcoming projects you have, feel free to tag me or post them on the Radiant Brilliant Show so that people can just check back and, and keep up with you, and I'll I'll forward anything that I find out as well, inshallah. And I want to thank all the listeners who tuned in tonight to the Radiant Brilliant Show. If you'd like to be a guest or if you know someone who would make a great guest, please email us at guestinfotrbs at gmail.com. And that's G-U-S-T-I-N-F-O-T-R-B-S at gmail.com. You also can send any feedback or show ideas to the Radiant Brilliant Show at gmail.com. The Radiant Brilliant Show at gmail.com. We're also found on Google Plus under the Radiant Brilliant Show, Facebook under the Radiant Brilliant Show, and Blog Talk Radio under Religion Means Alive, the Radiant Brilliant Show. And we also have our shows archived with SoundCloud, so stay tuned for even more things coming up. I'd like to thank you for tuning in tonight, and we will catch you on next Thursday. Again, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Radiant Brilliant Show. And I certainly hope you enjoyed our guest this evening, instrumentalist, vocalist, artist, Kachabi. The last selection I will share with you this evening 
is going to be for the people who truly appreciate the authenticity of the construction of a jazz effort. This particular selection is called Footprints. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Radiant Brilliant Show. And this is Kimberly Kalima. How about a big round of applause for Kachabi Quartet? Oh,
Marshall Wayne Shorter.